0: Monday morning you show the fight. Friday I got trapped in on my mind. First you love me and then you fade away. I can go on believing this
1: way. Good
0: morning, NFL fans. Welcome to another episode of Football Nations Monday Morning Huddle. I'm your host Dave Holcomb. We have a little bit different look to our show this week, as uh, you probably can see in the article attachment on Football Nation. There's a video attached along with the podcast, so check out the video. It's a little preview of what we're going to go over, a a little segment on today's show. Um, But we are going to go over uh, what was going on in the last week in the media. A lot of things being overhyped, at least in my opinion, with Tom Brady's injury, um, he suffered to his knee, very minor injury, got blown up in the media. Uh, the the guys on uh, Football Nation radio were talking about it. That's Bill Enright and Tom De, Todd De, DeVries. Uh, they, they were talking about Brady and his injury, how it was blown out of proportion. We'll talk about that. We'll also talk about RG3 and the words he exchanged with uh, his coach, Mike Shanahan, Jamal Charles, similar thing. That's all in our first segment jamal charles similar thing to tom brady that is not rg3 uh that's all the first segment second segment we have a great interview with justin henry we're going to preview the philadelphia eagles with him he's a big eagles fan uh, eagles expert i would say and uh then we also discuss the rest of the division in the nfc east third segment we go to the uh fourth and long segment where we will preview two articles um, going over game-by-game predictions for the Indianapolis Colts and the Pittsburgh Steelers, and then another article that was written by Michael Quinn we will preview about uh, bowl predictions in the NFC West, and we'll go over uh, over specifically one bowl prediction he made about the St. Louis Rams. So let's start the show with Tom Brady and his injury that he suffered last week. It was last Tuesday already uh, that Tom Brady... Went down with a knee injury during practice. And most of what I know about this came from uh, Football Nation Radio with Bill Enright. So, uh, Bill Enright reporting, he was watching TV as it happened. Uh, so, from what I understand, Tom Brady left the field with a knee injury on last week. I believe it was Tuesday. Left the field for one play. Went back in. Didn't look like the knee was affecting him, threw the ball well and then left for precautionary reasons. There was a reporter already on the field for a news outlet. I believe it was ESPN, but there was a reporter already there reporting on Patriots training camp, not on Tom Brady's knee, but just on Patriots training camp. And he the he reported Tom Brady's injury or, you know, his slip up, him leaving the field. But everything was fine. An hour later, when NFL Live came around, around 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock, whatever time it goes on on ESPN in the late afternoon, early evening, the story had completely changed to Tom Brady leaves practice with knee injury. And it just blew out of proportion to the point where... Is it his ACL? Did he suffer the same injury uh, he did back from 2008? Is it the same leg? Is it the same knee? Is he going to be ready for week one of the season? He's out for the whole year, blah, blah, blah. And it wasn't just ESPN where I think ESPN has been getting a lot of flat as of late, uh, a lot of flack as of late with um, just their really poor, poor coverage, in my opinion. And I think more and more fans, not just sports journalists, and and people that I've talked to in the field, not just people that I've talked to in the field, but sports fans in general, have finally realized how poor ESPN's reporting really has gotten with their sports coverage. But they were not the only ones that, that spun the story this way. NBC Sports, NFL Network, everybody spun it to the point where Tom Brady leaves with knee injury, leaves practice with knee injury. And it was just, why is that needed? Why is that kind of reporting needed? And I think many people will argue, yes, it's a a way to get more viewers. It's a way to draw people in. But as Bill Enright made the point on his show, people are already going to watch NFL Live to see news about football. Why do we need to sensationalize stories to get more people? There's already an audience out there. Shouldn't we deliver Top quality news, top quality coverage to the guys that are already, to the fans that are already coming to us for news? Shouldn't we give them the full story, the best stories? That's the way I feel. That's what I try to do on this show. And I hope that the listeners appreciate that, that I try and give the full story, my best opinions, and best analysis, and it's a quality product. That's why people come back to watch or listen to your show, because it's quality, not because it's sensationalized. The Tom Brady thing, it wasn't just ESPN. A lot of news outlets sensationalized that story and didn't tell the whole truth. It was a truth that he left the field, but not the whole truth. He came back and performed well. And you know what? I've never been a huge Tom Brady fan. I've always preferred Peyton Manning myself, if I had to pick one. But I respect, you know, completely respect Tom Brady and what he's done in his career. But good for him, coming out on Friday in the preseason game the Patriots played the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and Brady played fine. He played, I mean, he played more than fine. He played very well. Tim Tim Tebow, on the other hand, (laughs) not so much. He's really struggling. But Brady played well, and I think put to bed any uh, any thoughts that he's not going to be ready for the season. He'll be on the injury report, but he'll be ready for the season. Another guy that was kind of curious, the similar thing happened to Jamal Charles, uh, was big scare for him as well, I guess you could say, maybe even bigger for Tom Brady. I, mean, I think Tom Brady's injury was blown out of proportion by the media, but I think a lot of fans were hyped up about uh, Jamal Charles, uh, probably mostly because of fantasy reasons. Was obviously, Tom Brady's affects fantasy teams as well. But Jamal Charles, a guy that I think a lot of teams, a lot of uh, fantasy owners out there are hoping to have a big season. He's ranked in the top, probably top three of everybody's running backs. And, you know, when you're in the top three running backs, you're in the top three players. So, you know, if you listen to uh, Football Nation, uh, their fantasy football show, and I agree with all the things that they say about fantasy football, wait on thy quarterback. So quarterbacks aren't ranked higher than Charles, and I doubt a wide receiver is in the top three players overall. So Charles in the top three running backs, he's a top three player overall. And got a scare last week. Scared fans with his injury. But he's fine. It's another day-to-day thing, just like Brady's injury. And uh, he should be fine. Uh, I, there's, it's funny. Cause I, it's, well, it's not funny, but it's just been, I think, unusual this preseason, this this August, How many injuries we've seen and how many coaches being precautionary, being very cautious with their players. I don't think I've ever seen so many guys like RG3, who we'll get to in a second, Jamal Charles, and and guys sitting out most of the preseason not playing at all. And then we've seen some really big names go down with injury, too. So it's been a pretty funny month in the NFL, if you ask me. But Charles should be fine. He's day-to-day. Um, and don't be scared at all to draft him in your fantasy leagues. all right let's get to now r g three before we take a break. This is what my video was about uh in uh Middlebury, Vermont. Check out the video um and I'd love to hear your opinion on this just like i said in the the little clip r g three is a guy that to put it simply, just doesn't have a filter. He's a young quarterback what, 23, 24 years old, former Heisman Trophy winner, he's a guy that is going to say what he's thinking. And you know what? That That's not really a bad thing. On uh, the uh, one of the other podcasts, not um, Football Nation Radio, but uh, FN Today, hosted by Alex Reamer, he had an interesting take on it. Um, I think he kind of saw both sides, and he was arguing for both sides, but ultimately... Concluded that RG three's got to shut up. Yeah, I understand his point. If I was RG three, would I give a banal, you know, very ordinary, cliche answer? Probably. <laughs> Probably. Um, it's it's funny dynamic as a sports journalist. You see both sides because as a, as a sports journalist, for me, I'm a former athlete, so I understand where these guys are coming from. And if I was an athlete and I was asked a question regarding why I'm not playing, or am I, or am I upset about not playing? I'm gonna answer, yeah. Heck yeah, I'm I'm upset. I'm not playing, and that's what RG three was saying. He's upset. He's not playing. It doesn't matter if it's a preseason game. It doesn't matter if it's pickup football in the mud with his friends. He wants to play. That's you know that's why he plays the game so he can play. And uh, I mean that sounds sounds silly, but it's true. And I think what a lot of sports journalists and a lot of fans forget out there is how frustrating it can be for a player um, in this kind of situation. And when asked the question, it's a dumb question if you ask me. That's the problem. That's the problem with this type that, – that's the problem with the whole situation with RG3 is the, the question that's, that started all this was a dumb question. Asking RG3, are you upset you're not playing? What do you think he's going to say? That's almost as bad as asking Tom Brady a few years ago. Are you going to win? Or do you think that uh, you're going to win the Super Bowl? Yes, he thinks he's going to win the Super Bowl. He shouldn't be there if he doesn't think that. Stupid question. And this was a stupid question as well. Is there a rift between RG3 and Mike Shanahan? I don't know. Maybe. It's possible. I don't think RG3 and Mike Shanahan are buddy-buddy. They're not hanging out on the weekends. But are they going to be compatible enough to win games? Yeah. I don't think the Redskins are necessarily going to be a playoff team this year. And we'll get to them with Justin Henry in the the next segment. But it's not going to be because RG3 and Mike Shanahan don't get along. That's just silly. Okay, let's take our first break, and then we'll come back with that interview with Justin Henry. You know, uh, ESPN could learn a thing or two from John Lennon. Welcome back to Football Nation's Monday Morning Huddle. Your host, Dave Holcomb. We're going to now go to that interview that we had uh, from Saturday night uh, with Justin Henry. We are now welcoming a Football Nation writer uh, at uh, footballnation.com and coldhardfootballfacts.com, Justin Henry. How are you doing today, Justin? I'm good, Dave. Thanks for having me on. Well, thanks for coming on. We have a great interview with Justin. Uh, we're going to talk Philadelphia Eagles and the NFC East. First question, the burning question out of Philly Who's going to be behind center this season? There's been a lot of uh, talk with Michael Vick's going to stay there and run the offense that Chip Kelly's going to install, that fast pace, but maybe a Dennis Dixon is a good choice. Uh, and then, of course, they drafted the guy out of USC, Matt Barkley. So who, who's the favorite right now? Who do you see behind the center week one?
1: prevalent. But Vic's done great at it also. I'd say the up thing is the one advantage Foles has right now. But Vic to me leads every other category and if he's playing this good, you got to go with the hot hand. Although it wouldn't surprise me, given Chip Kelly's uh, proclivity for being creative and doing things in an odd fashion, if he kind of alternated between them once in a while during the regular season, who's just say you won't see Foles come in for a series just
0: Right, and that's a guy that I think many people kind of have forgotten about, perhaps, uh, in a Nick Foles, um, but he started and played pretty well towards the end of last season. He did, and and
1: that was behind a very lousy offensive line, if you remember. Mm Mm-hmm. Arizona now, but he just seemed very overmatched, especially with Jim Washburn and, and his little gimmick wide nine defensive line. It, it, it was a mess. Foles did the absolute best he could in that situation. He had Deshaun Jackson for I think one or two games a, and, and beyond that, you know, he, he had Macklin, and he had Brent Selleck, but really not, he had Riley Cooper, but not much else. And he, he didn't even have McCoy for 14 because McCoy had suffered a head injury against the Redskins. no
0: winner and loser here. You mentioned before the the weak offensive line the Eagles had last year. Has, have there been any improvements? Are there signs that that offensive line will get better? Because the way they played last year, it doesn't really matter who's behind center. Uh, they're going to have a tough time if, if the, the line plays like they did last year.
1: Touted over him, and he, and, uh, he plays a good point. Him and Jokela won't be on the field at the same time in, in his next preseason game, but they'll both be in there, so there will be some inevitable comparisons. But Jason Pierce is currently uh, nursing a hamstring injury; he missed the first two preseason games, but he should be good to go for the, for next Saturday in Jacksonville. But just not having him last year was a huge detriment because King Dunlap and Demetrius Bell, even combined best left tackle in the league, one of the best run blockers of that size in terms of getting out in front and making that first contact with the defender, that first block to spring McCoy or whoever, and the interior of the line with Evan Mathis, who is the most underrated offensive lineman in the league, at least in my opinion. Having Kelsey healthy and Harriman's healthy, that's a complete line. As I said, it's night and day from last year to this year.
0: Well, that's good news out of Philly. For the running back position, the end of the season, we didn't see LaShawn McCoy at all. Will he bounce back to form and back to where he was a couple years ago, one of the best backs in the league, both catching passes and rushing the ball?
1: I believe, and Peters, like as I said, best to me the best run blocking tackle in the game. And having McCoy run behind Dunlap or Bell, you know, it's, it's it's not the same. It's not even close. As long as McCoy stays healthy, and the line stays healthy. It's a perfect marriage, and I think you'll see McCoy play like McCoy again.
0: Well, that's good news for the Eagles and fantasy football uh, players out there. A lot of people are wondering how Chip Kelly in his first season, if he will play that up-tempo offense that he was so famous for in Oregon, do you think that'll transition well into the NFL if Kelly does install that completely in the NFL?
1: Well, from preseason, what I've seen so far, he's had success against both New England and against Carolina. It was Foles who used it more extensively in the Patriots game, and that led to a touchdown drive that ended with Bryce Brown running in from about seven yards out. Just gain, gain, gain. It was short gains, but it was all gains, and Patriots really had no counterpunch for it. Perhaps you were just observing it for the first time and weren't really sure how to react. You just, it's just a matter of wearing out defensive personnel. The offense is all on the same page, playing as one mind. And when Vic and Foles were both playing against Carolina, other than some costly turnovers in and near the red zone, they were running up and down the field on Carolina. So it may take a while for as Kelly can stay ahead of the curve, come up with new wrinkles for it, yeah, I think he'll be just fine, he he actually ran a play in that Panthers game, it was a third, and I want to say, like third and three, third and four, he went with a double stack, he had a tight end on one side, I think it was Selig and Cooper on one side, with Riley Cooper actually behind him at the line, and on the other side he had James Casey and Zach Ertz double stacked, so you're thinking, you know, what is this, this some sort of weird pass play here. Fulsch's hand right off the McCoy McCoy got the first down just the defense was so thrown by it hmm. it's just little innovations like that that keep defenses guessing and that's what the Eagles have a fresh mind and you're been running the same playbook for five or six years just trying to apply McNabb's plays to Kevin Cobb Kevin Cobb's plays to Michael Vick and, it, and there's been almost no deviance from it or deviation it's, and Marty Morniway was a big part of that Chip is
0: That's very interesting. Uh, the, of course, I think the NFL is in somewhat of a new era with r- running quarterbacks like RG3 and Russell Wilson. And perhaps uh, Kelly doesn't get his guy this year under center. Maybe he goes with uh, the Michael Vick from the previous era, but uh, does slowly bring in this new style of offense that is around the NFL. We're, we're talking with Justin Henry, writer from footballnation.com and coldhardfacts.com talking Eagles still moving to the defensive side of the ball. Kerry Williams this uh, last week came out and, and called the defense flat out soft. Is there any truth to that? And what do you see from the defense this year?
1: Brandon Graham. so this is, mm-hmm. so, so this is new to a lot of them even D'Amico Ryans he, he played one year with 3-4 in Houston and he wasn't quite used to it um, which is why he was traded on scale of 1 to 10 for how well the- So it it is a work in progress. As a matter of fact, Kerry Williams, in my opinion, was the biggest go on defense this week because he was covering Steve Smith, and you know, both of them are very volatile personalities, you know, very inflammatory. And Smith was just beating him up on every single play. Williams would be very tentative trying to tackle him, and Smith was just stiff on him right in the chest or chin, and he did did it so easily. So Williams, uh, I. actually in the back of the pack
0: right now in terms of how far going the defense is coming. All right, this is the part of our show. We move into predictions, Justin, the part that I'm not exactly 100% good at. Where will the Eagles end up at the end of this season? which will be a a vast improvement from the 4 and 12 last year. team won the Super Bowl. Absolutely. It's just outscore
1: your opponent. Give you 35, you score 38. It's, like, it's so hard to predict with the Eagles that I think E and E is just the uh, safe prediction because it's right down the middle.
0: Okay. All right, so Justin going a little safe here. Uh, not a bad choice. Uh, we're talking Justin Henry, writer from Football Nation and Cold Hard Facts. Before you go, let's get some predictions from around the NFC East. Uh, Robert Griffin III was in the news this week Uh, will him and Alfred Moore suffer any kind of sophomore slump this season
1: healthy, and if he's healthy, he's dangerous, and Morris, I know Mike Shanahan, screws around with the running backs a little bit, and, you know, he employs multi-headed systems, because he is the running back, he, he's the best head coach I've seen, when it comes to taking some obscure running back, he did it with Terrell Davis, he did it with mm-hmm. Mike Anderson, Yeah. He's, he's doing it
0: now with Alfred Morris, right, Clinton Portis was another guy, Right, that's true. Mike Anderson, I think the
1: same thing, and that's what Morris is. Mm-hmm. He, he finds diamonds in the rough so with such ease. And I think that um you can pluck somebody else and throw them in there that nobody's seen and just some um, you know, Joe six pack that you can run, throw him in there and get and get a fifteen hundred yard season out of him while Morris I, I doubt he would downgrade Morris to a second roll so quickly. But Values unpredictability, I and mean, as long as as long as they stay healthy, they're going to be in contention. They are reigning division champions after all, but I don't like their defense one bit, especially that Bakari Rambo, this via safety. That first game right. against Tennessee, he was so out of position, getting burned by Chris Johnson and Sean Green when he was the uh, last line of defense on a few plays, and he's
0: their secondary isn't that great. Yeah, yeah, that secondary was bad last year. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm going to add um, Joe Sixpack to my fantasy list, by the way, Justin. <laughs> um, I had
1: my draft last night. And I chose Alfred Morris in the third round, so hopefully I didn't just jinx myself.
0: <laughs> well, I, don't, I don't think so. I think Morris is going to have a good season. Um, moving to the Cowboys, another quarterback, Tony Romo. is a guy that's gotten a lot of heat uh, this offseason because of that, that last game against the Redskins. How does Romo and the Cowboys do? Uh, does Does Tony lead them to the put back to the playoffs?
1: Well, a lot of that's going to come down to Bill Callahan's play calling. with Jason Garrett standing there for wearing a headset for some reason or another, I don't even know why they still bother employing him on <laughs> the plays. Um, and Monty Kiffin on defense is, seems like an odd fit. He's been out of the NFL for a few years. Yeah. But, Uh-huh. A, lot of that was, a lot of that was, predicated on just being a smart player. Claiborne, I, I think he was one that had that very low Wonderlic score of like a four or a five. I could be wrong. Okay. So those defenses had a lot of intelligent players like Rondé Barber, Warren Sapp, Derrick Brooks,
0: Simeon Rice, John Lynch. Oh yeah. High football IQ, IQ, IQ there.
1: So they're getting everyone back, and it's just a matter of how they take to the scheme and how they take the Callahan's play calling. So they're trying to do things, but it's most the same roster. But that offensive line is killer. Hmm. And they got a third-round center in the first round, Travis Frederick. If he can overcome you know, that, that projection for himself, good for him. But when they're trying to bring Brian Waters out of retirement, play guard, that's probably not the game that they have faith in them. Right. So, it comes down to the line. If if Remo's under fire a lot, it doesn't matter if they have Des Bryant, Miles Austin, and or whoever, even Jason Witt. If he's under fire, he's under fire and he's gonna get slammed.
0: It's amazing how you know, in our in our football society, how much we talk about the skill players and the quarterback and it still comes down to that offensive and defensive line matchup. Games are one of the trenches. Yes. It's a cliche, but it's so true. Moving to the last team in the division, the Giants, I don't want to say underrated because underrated, you know, it, it, it's all about your perspective and where, you know, you rank teams and players, but are the New York Giants going to this season the most under-the-radar team in the NFL? Not many people talking about them. This is a team that won the Super Bowl two years ago. Well,
1: the Giants are real stories of the offseason for Victor Cruz's contract thing and the Hakeem Knicks holding out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Other. Does win games in the clutch. Um, I think one keystone of the team this year is going to be Brandon Myers, a tight end. Another player he's if we're talking about going under the radar here. He had, I think, seven or eight hundred yards in the Oakland last year and, and a handful of touchdowns. Sure. The Giants haven't had truly dominant tight ends in shocking. I mean, right. Mm. And then paid for the New England poached him for the first chance they got. Um, <laughs> just, just having a tight end in that offense with Cruz in the slot, and Myers could be a downfield receiver also. So, that, so the offense is just as dangerous as it's ever been, especially if David Wilson is He's a good running back. He'd be, he just had his that, uh, rough two, two or three first games last year. Right. But,
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I think in that running game you mentioned Andre Brown I think is going to be a lot more involved too with um, Ahmad Bradshaw leaving the team, going to the Colts. Yeah, unfortunately, that's true. you just injury-prone guy and very rarely healthy for 16 games. All right, before we send you out, Justin, I want to have final predictions for where each team is going to end up in the NFC East and if anybody's going to go deep into the playoffs. <laughs> I've seen it twice. It's absolutely. He, he, Eli Manning is like,
1: he's a division champion. He's terrible. He's a wild card to look out. When, when a team feels like that they're, on, perhaps, perhaps that's the key to the Giants team this year. When you say that they're in, um, under the radar, and perhaps underappreciated, what do they do? They stun everybody. So going in, it, it, it's a packed NFC. You still have Seattle, San mm-hmm. Francisco.
0: I agree with you. It's it's still better than last year. There's still Atlanta, it's still Green Bay. It's it's a wide it's tougher in the NFC than it is the AFC right now. Yeah, totally. And if the team misses the playoffs it's not because
1: it's, so much that they were a bad team, it's just there's only six spots.
0: Mm-hmm. It certainly will be a interesting season for the NFC East. It always is, and your predictions have just one game separating each team. Um, that's how it always is in the NFC East. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah. Oh, wait. And won a couple of Super Bowls as a wild card. Oh, uh, no. Or. Actually, actually, they were division champion in 2011. That's right. Because right, right. That's true. They, yeah. They had the home game uh, against Atlanta. That's right. Atlanta yeah.
1: scored
0: two freaking points. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> we got Justin Henry. Thanks for coming on the show. He's a writer. Uh, check out his stuff at footballnation.com and com. Justin, do you want to give your Twitter handle out to our listeners? All right, thanks a lot for coming on the show, Justin. Thank you very much, Dave. Once again, Justin, thanks for coming on the show today. All right, we're going to take a break and then come back with our fourth and long segment. Welcome back to Monday Morning Huddle. I'm your host, Dave Holcomb. We're going to our fourth and long segment. We're going to start out with two uh, articles about uh, game-by-game predictions for AFC teams. Uh, Football Nation has a special series of articles. I believe it's been uh, done for every single team around the NFL. Uh, Different writers have gone through each team's schedule and made game-by-game predictions on who's going to win each and every game, um, at least on each team's schedule, in each individual team's schedule, if that makes sense, uh, and make predictions for how each team is going to finish based on those game-by-game predictions and uh, who makes the playoffs. So uh, this weekend... The Pittsburgh Steelers article and the Indianapolis Colts article both came out. I personally did the Steelers one. So let's start with the Colts first, written by Jacob Leuven. Uh, he predicts the Colts um, going 11-5 and and getting a wild card berth out of the AFC South, very similar uh, to last year's team. Um, so the statement, Colts 11-5 and finish and will make a second appearance in the playoffs with Andrew Luck under center. I'm going to punt this one away. The Colts were a good team last year. They, don't get me wrong. They they <laughs> they were 2-14 the year before. They were just awful. It was a tremendous turnaround for them. But I think a lot of it had to do with their emotion and how they played without their head coach, Chuck Pagano. And that a huge part of it had to do with Bruce Arians filling in wonderfully – as interim head coach and being awarded a head coaching position in Arizona this season. So I, I do think that a lot of what the Colts did last year was based on emotion. And I, I think people are kind of, a, at least journalists are afraid to say that because I, I think in today's day and age, we're afraid to offend somebody. And I, I don't think it's really being offensive to say that the Colts a lot of their success was because of Chuck Pagano and his and his um, battle with cancel cancer. They were inspired by that story. I think the whole country and the whole NFL was inspired by that story. I don't. I don't think that offends anybody to say that maybe the Colts are a little overrated because of that. I, I think they're going to struggle this season. Um, I haven't really thought a huge deal about who from the AFC will make the playoffs instead of the Colts. But uh, I think that they're going to have a, a drop-off in their win total and um, to the point where maybe only eight or nine wins. And I don't think, even in a weak, weaker AFC, that won't be enough to make the playoffs. Switching over to the Steelers, a team that missed the playoffs la- last year with an 8-8 and record. I was pretty ambitious with my article uh, and, and my predictions with the Steelers. I think they're still a good team on paper with Ben Roethlisberger playing, if he can play a full season or close to it and play like he did last year before his injury, he was playing like an MVP. I really believe that. And it was because Todd Ailey, I think, can take him to another level. Bruce Arians made Ben Roethlisberger who he is, but Haley is going to make Roethlisberger an elite quarterback in the NFL. I mean, there's arguments, I guess, that uh, Roethlisberger's already elite. But in terms of running a, an elite offense, like a New England, like a Denver now, or how Peyton did it so many years in Indianapolis, or or like a, a Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers. Yes, Pittsburgh is lacking the the offensive weapons right now for Roethlisberger, but he by himself can win games. With Todd Haley, I don't that really never happened very often with Bruce Arians. Roethlisberger would he was more of a game manager in my mind, and and people there's such a stigma when you say a quarterback is a game manager. Everybody's a game manager. Every quarterback is. Tom Brady is a game manager. So is Peyton Manning. Is. That's what quarterbacks do. They manage the game. It's like a pitcher. The pitcher in baseball manages the game. there's there's no wrong in being a crafty pitcher or a pitcher that uh, hits his spots rather than relying on velocity. A similar kind of uh, metaphor, if you will, with quarterbacks. There's nothing wrong with relying on your defense and a running game. And not turning the ball over. For much of his career, that's what Roethlisberger has done. But I think with Haley, in the next couple of seasons, before Ben starts to decline, because he is over 30 at this point, I think he will go into, take another step and and become even a better passer overall and a better quarterback. And you know what? For the first time in Ben's career, they have the offensive line to do that. And... There's just something I, I've heard a lot of different things about the Steelers. Uh, I guess I'm I'm going off on a tangent here. I didn't even say my statement yet. Uh, the, the statement: the Steelers, I I'm predicting will finish eleven and five, and make the playoffs, winning the AFC North. I'm I'm grunting. I'm going for that. I I really believe that. Um, I think they could even go twelve and four. You look at their schedule; it's not that difficult, and. Um, you, If you um, take into account even a loss, I, g- I gave them a loss in Oakland. And, they, and I still was able to give them 11 wins on the season. Uh, loss in Oakland, loss in New England, loss in Green Bay, and then split with Cincinnati and Baltimore. Those are the five losses. The other games that could be tough, they, they have to go to London and play Minnesota. It's tough playing uh, Adrian Peterson they they're playing chicago they're playing detroit those are teams that you really never know <laughs> with them could be could be uh if they if they play well they're good teams if not they could be pushovers uh, i think they sweep the browns and then the rest of their schedule is the afc east the jets dolphins and bills all pushovers. I don't think they lose to Mike Wallace and the Dolphins. That's the only team really in my mind that they have a chance of losing against of those three. And then the other uh, team is uh, is Tennessee that they're playing uh, besides besides Oakland. Oakland is that flex game, and um, Tennessee is the other one. So I don't see them losing uh, to the Titans at home. Um and that, that gives them 11 wins. And if they are able to win in Oakland for the first time in over a decade and a half, that's 12 wins. So on paper, I know there's been a lot of different reports out of Pittsburgh. There's a, the top story right now on ESPN, as, as we record, is Pittsburgh's in the decline. And the Steelers are in a decline. And they're, they're going to go through a tough stretch where they're not going to be making the playoffs. I disagree. Following this team for many years now, it's just it's hard to count them out any season, no matter how they did the year before. And I think it's premature to say that they're not going to be a playoff team this coming season, especially in a weak AFC. There's really no one that's going to stand out besides Denver. I think Denver is the clear favorite in the AFC. Besides that, it's a big fall off. Houston might be good. New England might be good. We'll see how their offense is. Without all those weapons lost with Brady, Baltimore is going to have struggle. I think they could still be good. I think it's also premature to count them out, but they're going to struggle on defense at times without Ray Lewis and all those guys that they lost. Everybody's on Cincinnati's bandwagon, but you know I'm waiting and see. I want to wait and see on them before I, I jump on on Andy Dalton. And it's just the history of the Bengals; it's not in their favor. But we'll see. I think uh, it'll be definitely an interesting season in the AFC as a whole, but particularly the AFC North. Um, But don't count out the Steelers by any means. All right, the last topic we're going to go over in this segment, uh, Michael Quinn wrote an article uh, making 10 bold predictions about the NFC West. I'm only going to reveal one of his predictions. He had a couple for the St. Louis Rams, but I picked out one. Devon Austin will put up a total of 1,400 yards this season as a rookie, and you know what? I think this is a little ambitious as well, but I'm going to grunt. I'm going to go for it and say the rookie gets it done. I'm, I have high expectations for the Rams this year, and Quinn kind of reaffirmed my beliefs, and he agrees with me that the Rams could be a playoff team, could finish above 500 for the first time in Geez, how long has it been? Since it's been 2003, 2002, somewhere around there. It's been a long time for St. Louis. Um, And they're in a really, really tough division. 49ers, Seahawks. The Cardinals are going to be better than they were last year. Still not great, but they're going to be better. It'll be tough for the Rams. It's tough sledding. But I think this could be the first year that they have a winning season. And if they're going to, They're going to need a lot of production from Tavon Austin, so I say, yeah, go for it. Go for 1,400. Go for 1,500 total yards. I think that a rookie out of West Virginia can get it done. All right, that's the end of the fourth and long segment. Here's one more from John Lennon's Imagine, the song with the same title as the album, and then we'll come back and wrap up today's show. football nation's monday morning huddle i'm your host dave holcomb that's all we got for today's show but i do want to remind or or actually tell our listeners this is something that i really don't talk about much on our show but it's it is mentioned on other podcasts on football nation that our podcasts are actually available in more than just the location where you can find them on the website footballnation.com you can download them at the itunes store you can also download them on uh your uh I guess this might be the same as downloading it in the iTunes store. I'm not uh completely up with all the technology stuff, but uh if you have an iPad or an iPod, uh iPhone, if you have the the app uh called Podcasts, you can actually download it in that in that uh in that app um and and listen to it in the car while you're driving if you just took up uh, your I, iPhone or iPad, I uh, iPod, whatever I thing you have. Um, and listen to it that way. It's something that I've really uh, learned to love doing with the other podcasts on the, the website. And uh, actually, for the first time last week, with uh, the launching of the two-hour live show, uh, Football Nation Radio, we actually will be on iHeartRadio as well. This uh, this show, along with Alex Reimers, FN Today, and the, the two other podcasts, Um well, Their podcasts—you can listen to them as podcasts—but they're also live uh, with Bill Enright and Todd DeFries on uh, Tuesday and Thursday, twelve to two. They are live taking calls, which is really cool. Uh, on f- Tuesday, the more emphasis on fantasy football, and Thursday is just the NFL and college football in general. They also do college football fantasy and news on Thursdays. So that's all we got. Exciting stuff on Football Nation. Check it out for your, the best preseason coverage, in my opinion, around the NFL. College football is just around the corner and starting very soon. So check out the stories on college football. And uh, the NFL season, very close. So continue to check out the website. and. Uh, but until next week, I'm going to try and find some peace in my mind.